Yeah, they added in a couple new ranks this year. Like they added in the tier below bronze, and they added, I think one, I think they added one either between diamond and master, or between master and challenger, and I think that just kind of threw off their algorithms or something. Yeah, I don't know, hundred percent. But well, I mean, it's not like we always talk about the highest level, but that really means nothing to me because I, I can't get plus silver. So. Hey guys, we are back with episode three of the Esports Startup. So in this episode, we're going to focus on what all is happening now that we're starting to raise the Series A. Um, I'm joined with the same two employees that have been with me since the beginning of Esports One, as well as the beginning of this podcast, Johnny and Jordan. Guys, say hello. Hello. Hi, did you say favorite employees? Sorry, I, I just misheard. No, I said former employees. Okay. <laughs> hello. Peace. All right. Yeah, so we are kind of going to jump right in uh, on this episode and, and talk about you know how we got to raising our Series A, why we're raising a Series A uh, investment round, why raise more money at all, why can't you just, you know, why isn't there a magical tree that money grows on that you can visit? And uh, But unfortunately, we're not able to do that, and so we're raising another round of funding. So I guess, guys, you know, let's start things off by just explaining, you know, why do y'all think we're raising another round of funding? Who wants to jump in? Um, yeah, I'll, I'll jump in. Um, first of all, I think, you know, we're raising money because we're at a point where we can really start to ramp up the efforts and, you know, build up our products, scale them out at a faster rate. And so, you know, having excess capital allows you to really, you know, hire more people, um, uh, Increase the velocity with which you can bring products to market and iterate on those products. Yeah, absolutely. Also, Jordan, thanks for the save. <laughs> yeah, so you know you have to look at you know uh, raising more capital and in a number of forms. Obviously, there's the positives that you have more capital to hire employees, to scale faster, to you know expand uh, your you know your facilities and offices and, and a number of uh, different things. But also, you are giving away more equity. Uh, most investors, especially the Series A, you know, level, uh, if they're going to lead around, they're going to look for, at a minimum, ten to fifteen percent of your company, more more likely around twenty percent of your company, and then that doesn't even include the other investors that will be coming on to close out the round. So, as an example, if you're raising, you know, five million dollars for your Series A, your your lead investor is going to look for about three million. You know, need to put in about three million of that, and they're going to want, you know. 10, 15, 20% of the company. So there's a lot of positives and, and negatives when it comes to uh, to making this decision. And, and for us, it's important that, you know, that we're, we take advantage of the opportunity within the space, within esports right now, because esports is still, still very young, but also we feel that, you know, very confident in our vision for bringing, you know, this level of innovation, this level of of you know uh, of data and, and and kind of these lo- this level of the product products uh, as a whole to a a market that is in you know uh, there's a big gap in basically and that kind of you know that sort of mindset scales obviously into other industries but for esports I think we we want to take advantage of that uh, that kind of that op- opportunity do you guys agree you know kind of on the same page yeah and I think um you know something important to uh, talk about is you know, we're not just raising money because we've run out, right? 
Right. We're raising money because this is an optimal time for us. Right. And um, we don't need, yeah, right. We don't need to raise money right now. And, and that's also a reason why a lot of people, and it still comes down to funding, but a lot of people raise money because they have to. And it's important that if you're going to start raising money, that you never, you at least give yourself six months uh, of runway that you never raise, you know, at the, you know, when you, when you only have a few more, you know, a few months of runway, one, it looks bad to investors Two, you know, you end up giving away the farm basically because you need the money so badly and, and it can look, you know, desperate. And, and plus it takes, usually takes a lot longer than, than just a couple of months to raise around. Yeah, definitely. Just going off our seed round, you know, that takes a few months. So if you, if you've only got two months of runway, you're in a bit yeah, of trouble. At you're, that in, point. you're in a bit of trouble. Yeah. I mean, it take, hopefully we'll, we'll move pretty quickly with this round, but you never know. Uh, so jumping right into it, you know, I guess to kind of start, like, what do you guys, where do you, what do you guys think was sort of the jumping off point for us to, uh, you know, start raising, where, where would you say like we officially started raising our series A or, or started at least thinking from a uh, business standpoint of how we're going to approach our series A, where do y'all think that kind of started? Yeah. I, re- I remember a few discussions, um, a while back, but I don't think it was really solidified until, I think you had a board meeting. Is that what you remember, Jordan? Yeah, the, I mean, the first time I remember like discussing raising a Series A was several months ago. We were getting a lot of uh, like inbound investor outreach, like investors reaching out to us because they were interested in investing in a future round. And I, I think the amount of outreach we were getting from investors, like oftentimes when we were raising our seed round, it was us cold emailing investors we'd never met before to try and get them to invest. Now we have all these investors reaching out to us, expressing their interest in potentially investing in future rounds. And so I think that really uh, just kind of made us realize that we have a lot of momentum right now. That and of course, and all the great things, you know, whether it's improving our technology or building awesome products or making awesome partners, like things internally to the company have been going great. And we have all these investors that are you right. know, reaching out to us. Uh, that, that was when I first remember talking about it. Yeah. And we, so we had always been, you know, we always knew we'd raise a series. A. It wasn't really a shock. It was just a matter of when we would, uh, when we'd get that underway. And yeah, the board meeting was, I guess, the point where, so kind of the back of uh, just a, a bit, you know, when you're raising a seed round, a lot of the investor outreach like Jordan touched on comes down to, you know, figuring out, doing whatever you have to, to get in front of investors. And, you know, Johnny will remember this as well. It's like we, you know, we had, and this, I, I wouldn't recommend this approach uh, uh, now, but we sent out like a newsletter sort of uh, just email blast to a bunch of different investors and, and, uh, honestly, I don't, I think our open rate was like 5% and we maybe had like two people or yeah, like two people reach back out Our our big kind of jumping off for our seed round was obviously our demo days at MIT and Quake. But for the series A round, it's largely based on intros by your current investors because they have to be your biggest advocates. They have to be the ones that are, you know, you know, preaching your name and telling everyone, you know, this is a company that you know, we invested in and we are big fans of theirs and we think you should too. And the, why that's so important is because as a venture firm, obviously, you know, for a seed round fund to, or, you know, a seed round uh, a venture capital fund for them to uh, earn a return and earn dividends and make money, obviously your company has to either, you know, go, go IPO or, or be acquired. And so, you know, they, they understand that if they're investing in you, more likely you're going to have to invest in future rounds. And so once you are 
you know, starting to raise another round, they, you know, it's in their best interest, even though they're going to, their equity will dilute and they'll, and this gets into pro rata rights and a bunch of other things, but it's in other best interest that, that you continue raising funds. However, they also, you know, for them to ensure that you have the best, you know, venture capital funds or firms investing in, in you as a company, their reputation means everything. And so if they're, telling you know all these venture funds and for or all these vcs and investors about your company and you're you know and you're a terrible entrepreneur your startup ends up failing you know that's on them because they made that intro and so you have to have continue a really strong relationship with with vcs to get you know to get them and put them in a position where they're the, your biggest advocates uh and that's luckily we have you know vic and damon who are and um and Jason and Atef, the the Crest team, you know, are very big advocates of ours, and they're out there making intros for us and, and whatnot. So, reason I mention that is is before we could officially kick off our Series A, you know, we had to have their support. There wasn't any other way for us to proceed. We they had to be like, okay, we're you're good to do. Like we're we're behind you. They had to be a hundred percent bought in. Right, and there was there just wasn't we couldn't do that without them. Um, and so the board meeting, uh, you know, usually board meetings, we touched on this on, on previous episodes, but usually board meetings are, you know, to discuss, you know, the company and, and updates, HR, you know, equity grants and approvals and whatnot. We spent the entire board meeting planning for Series A, um, going through the deck, uh, outlining, you know, who we would be targeting, what, what firms we would, you know, were most important. And we spent two hours just nonstop running through, you know, our entire strategy for Series A. And that was really the, you know, the moment where things really started to ramp up for us. Now, you know, two months later, like we just started our Series A. So, you know, it still took a significant amount of time before we uh, actually officially, you know, started our Series A because there's a lot of prep and planning that goes into it. But that was when it really, you know, I guess the kind of day zero. I'm curious in the board meeting were you, were you guys were you guys deciding if we should raise a series A or did you kind of at the beginning of the meeting did they just all agree yes we should raise a series A and just immediately start Yeah, I mean they they knew uh, there wasn't any yes or no of should we raise a series A it was more around timing and ensuring that you know we we had a really solid story and that you know for us to uh, start putting this in front of investors that we were all, you know, that we would come up with a good time timeline and sequence of who we're going to speak with first and, you know, how we're going to approach them. And so, uh, so there's no, you know, th- there's no hesitancy in terms of, uh, are we going to raise a series A? It was more so, are we going to, you know, at what point does everyone, at what point are we going to say, all right, these are the things that were that uh, have been done, and now we're ready to to you know officially start raising the the round? Yeah. So so you mentioned the deck, and we're going to touch on it in much more detail later in the episode. Did you just kind of go through and just kind of put some ideas down at that point, um, or were you assessing the old deck and kind of building upon that? So yeah, around you know this time we had a general idea of the structure of the deck and you know how the material that would be important to present to the investors um you know there's there's 
you know, there's sort of a, a template approach uh, when it comes to what, you know, how, how you need to present this to investors. And, and the best example is uh, Front, and we'll include this in the, uh, the blog that accompanies our podcast, but Front is a company that um, uh, they put together, they put it on LinkedIn and shared the deck that they use for their Series A and Series B, and they raise around really quickly. And it's a really, you know, solid uh, example of the structure and the story that, you know, comes across um, that needs to be shown through a deck that if given to an investor without you accompanying and being able to talk through it, that they still see the the story, they see the problem solution. So anyway, you know, going into that, the first board meeting where, or the board meeting where we, you know, came away saying, okay, we're going, you know, we're, we're going to start ramping up and, and preparing to raise our our series A, we had a idea of how we wanted to structure the deck. I think the the big question was, you know, what would the timeline be and how would we, you know, what concerns that we felt that potential investors would have in a company, you know, in in esports and or an industry like esports that, you know, still has a lot of uncertainties. Uh, and how we could really, really solidify our uh, our vision and kind of you know how we're going to get from you know pre-revenue to generating consistent revenue to you know moving to a phase where you know you you're in unicorn status because um, you know I mentioned this probably before, but investors don't care about you know hundred million dollar exits; they care about hundred billion dollar exits and. You have to really clearly illustrate, you know, uh, how you can your position in your company or your startup to not not necessarily get there in you know a year or three years, but if you can continue to grow and continue to you know expand and and you know and act on your overall vision that there's you're positioning yourselves to to be a potential you know hundred million hundred billion dollar uh, company. And so that's, you know, that's what we came away from that first board meeting with. All right, these are the, these are the big concerns right now before we're going to, you know, officially kick things off. And, and this is how we need to address them. Now get to work. Do you have an idea at that point, like who you want to target or is, is that like a later discussion? I think you always know, you always have a good idea. I mean, the, our investors, they have their, their core sort of, uh, you know, partners that they work with, with all the firms and, you know, they, this isn't their first rodeo. You know, they've had other startups that they've introduced and gone through the Series A uh, process and, you know, that they invested in early on. And, uh, and not so long ago, as an example, you know, Anchor, who's, who's the podcast company that we actually uh, upload our, our podcast to, they were acquired by Spotify and ENIAC, who's one of our investors, was one of their, you know, lead or one of their significant investors. And, they, you know, they were a big part of uh, putting them in front of the right Series A, you know, VCs as well as moving to acquisition phase. And so our investors knew who who we who they were most comfortable with and who they had the best relationships with. But we we didn't have like a clear, you know, like that this would be the best, you know, uh, VCs for us. We we had a general idea though at that point. Can you drop some names for the for the audience? Yeah, I would say, you know, some of the, you know, when you think of, of Series A, like, obviously, you know, there's the likes of Sequoias and the, you know, the Andreessen's, but 
you also have to look at what's most important for you as a company in terms of a firm, a venture firm that has the uh, name recognition, obviously, but but has the relationships in the industry that you know that directly affects yourself and and even if they don't have active esports investments, which a lot of the VC and firms that we talk to, you know, we would be their first uh, esports investment. However, if they've invested in data companies or if they've invested in, you know, machine learning and, and computer vision companies and uh, or they, you know, have they've worked in the entertainment space and, and broadcasting space or at least had investments in those spaces, you know, those are are. Uh, venture firms that hold a lot of value for us because they either they have relationships or they've seen you know they've seen kind of how things play out uh, in a in a you know in a industry or the space that kind of correlates with ours. Would you ever consider an like a quote unquote celebrity investor for esports one? Yeah, I mean, I think that's. Uh, I actually had that question uh, earlier today from one of our employees was asking about uh, Snoop Dogg uh, and as a. Uh, because uh, he's he's been on Twitch a bit and actually uh, approaching him, I think I think uh, celebrity investment is a case by case basis. Does it you know the big thing there is do they provide enough value while also not detracting from your announcement and like your company and and you know do they complement your company and do they complement your you know the press release and what you're doing and do they provide you know, their value is not their investment. Their value is, you know, their their press and their marketing and their, you know, and who they who they know within their ecosystem. And so if there's enough value there, absolutely. It just, it all depends, sort of a case-by-case basis. I think uh, with esports, although it's like a massive community, obviously it's it still requires authenticity. So if, if um, you know, fans of esports and viewers see that the wrong person is kind of investing in a company and they don't, they're not actually interested in growing this space. They're kind of just wanting a publicity stunt. You know, that can be a little bit damaging. So, yeah, it's, it's important that you get someone that kind of is involved in the scene that wants to see the scene grow. And I think that's really important. Yeah, and that's why you see a lot of traditional sports, um, you know, either teams or, or or big names that, you know, are in that were either a professional football player or, or baseball or basketball or whatever it might be are now making, you know, investments within esports because either – they have a family member like a son or a daughter that's, you know, that's very much plays a lot of the esports games, but also, you know, they, they've seen, you know, while, and, you know, we will touch probably on this a lot more in future episodes, but the correlation obviously between traditional sports and esports is very, you know, there's a lot of similarities and there's, you know, many more differences, but I think that's beneficial as someone that has either worked or played or, or competed in traditional sports, they can provide a lot of value to, you know, an esports startup or, or even professional esports team. All right, guys. So we're, we're now moving into our, our new office. Uh, our last board meeting when we kind of kicked off talking about the series a was while we were still in the shared workspace at WeWork. And now this following the holidays, everyone's getting back into the swing of things. And we have kind of a, a strategy in place of, uh, of here are the things that we need to really define and lay out for us to, you know, prepare our deck and prepare how we're going to start pitching a series, a investors. And, and, and so now we're, we're, you know, getting into the swing of things. And, and it's also a really opportune time because 
following the holidays, like we mentioned before, you know, this is in between that holidays and, and, you know, summer timeframe when it's the best time to start pitching VCs. They're all, you know, back to work. They're all looking for investments to make to start off the year. And so do you guys remember sort of, you know, we started having meetings at this point uh, with uh, the team and, and myself and, and all of you and laying out like, here are the things that we need to work on. Do, y'all, do you guys remember like what those meetings consisted of? Gosh, yeah, there were so many of them. Um, the early ones were just figuring out how we wanted to structure our deck, if I remember correctly, and, and like what we wanted to base the, the story we're telling through our deck around. So like, one thing in your pitch text is you don't you don't want to just lay down facts for the investors on some different slides and like organize them how the you know the first link you clicked on google says you should organize them and like that's your pitch deck you you want your pitch deck to like overall tell a cohesive story um to the investors and for us that story was uh we had to decide what that story was around you know some companies might raise around how much revenue they're making uh some companies might raise around how many users they have on their platform or if you're a b2b company the clients that you have um so it was deciding what we needed to raise around for us and and we'll touch on this more later this episode i'm sure but what that ended up coming to was our data right yeah and it was important for us to understand you know how we're going to present the data back to uh uh, in a uh, understandable uh, way to our investors. I think two of the parts that we had to really nail and really make clear to, to our investors was, you know, what are, what, when you're building out kind of the financial model and that regardless if you're pre-revenue or if you're making revenue, you have to, you know, uh, clearly lay out what those users are that are, that you're building these, assumptions or these you know predictions around when it comes to laying out the financial model and understanding the size of your market that you're that you're going after not not just what the esports market is or not just what you know the streaming market is but what is the market specifically that we're targeting so there's a terminology that uh, companies use when it comes to you know from a marketing perspective or or you know financial modeling uh, point of view uh, called user personas. And we had defined or outlined what these user personas were, you know, when the company first started, like we knew who the type of users that we were focused on and, and what our, our target market really was, but we still needed to put frame them in such a way that aligned with what story we were trying to tell uh, when putting it in front of uh, series or, you know, investors and series A, you know, VCs and firms and, you know, kind of to back up a second, you know, a user persona at its core is really just, you know, what, you know, who are you going after? Like who, who's going to use your product? Who do you feel you, the solution that you're building for most is, is targeted towards or, or, you know, well, you'll get, gets the most value out of your product. Um, and, and I could probably jump in here. Yeah, go for it. Yeah. So, you know, the important part is you kind of break it down into kind of three topics that um, help you know tell the story of this persona a lot easier so you know the market size um, you know revenue opportunities and a really important one is, is demographic so you really you got to really know your persona so for example you know the male or female what's their age range um, and this this overall gets to paint like a much easier picture to explain to someone else but also when you're building out products your company is constantly referencing these so to have it really properly defined and, and really understand who your target is then it makes it a lot easier to to do all your business practices on 
Right. And that's not only just for, you know, when you're building out product, but this then aligns and makes it easier for your marketing team to know, you know, who they're targeting when they're doing advertisements or campaigns and, and for your sales team to know who, you know, they need to be uh, reaching out to and doing cold calling, you know, ad or emails. Uh, And and it, it goes across the board basically. And so what we, what we did was we said, you know, here, here are our four sort of core categories that, you know, we feel that eSports One is best in tune to addressing. Um, and we set these out early on, but we wanted to ensure that we really kind of, you know, got into the weeds, and as, as they say, when it comes to understanding, you know, every aspect of these user personas and the four, uh, uh, the four are, you know, Jordan, you want to talk about what the four kind of different user personas are? Yeah, for us, they were uh, event organizers, teams and players, streamers and viewers. Right. Yeah. And so we had professional, like even looking at, at I think we, we focus more so on like professional teams and players right off the bat. That doesn't mean that long term that we won't, you know, that our products won't be in a position to support the teams and players uh, that are amateur teams or up and coming teams and players. But for our Series A and what we'll be using this funding for right off the bat, you know, these products uh, that we're building and the solutions that we're providing will be geared towards, you know, professional event organizers and, and big mainstream, you know, tournament organizers and and the professional teams that are competing in weekly and, and, you know, events and leagues and, and that, you know, the, the broadcasters, not, you know, not the, the top tier broadcasters and maybe not, you know, kind of your everyday, you know, streamer or broadcaster, but more so around the mid range, 500 to a thousand viewer, you know, broadcasters. And, and even from a viewer perspective, you know, sort of your casual fan, someone that understands esports enough that you don't have to you know, break it down uh, all the way at, at kind of a baseline, you know, level of explaining every aspect of the game, but not so much that they won't, you know, really in-depth stats and in-depth analytics. And again, that that's how you frame a story that, okay, here's our target market. Here's how we're going to solve. Uh, here's how our products will address the opportunity specifically for these individual or these user personas. But those user personas make up a much larger uh, market and so like teams you know we would might target a thousand professional teams but overall you know there's probably hundreds of thousands or tens of thousands of uh, casual amateur teams and collegiate and universities and high school league you know teams that are playing and same thing across each each level and I just want to <clears throat> I just want to jump in here for a second uh, I know you touched on it briefly earlier but like Matt said user personas are very important to every part of the company advert you know on on my side marketing like advertising to someone that's 45 years old and like a hardcore gamer is going to be very different than advertising to someone that's like 21 years old and like a casual gamer and and outside of that you know another side that it really impacts is the product side you know the the features you would build out for professional teams versus amateur teams much different the amount of revenue you could get per team from amateur teams versus professional teams much different um, and same with streamers, like the features that a streamer with 500 viewers, the features that would be valuable rather to a streamer with 500 viewers might differ from a streamer with 10,000 viewers. So so if you try to build products right off the bat that can hit all the streamers on Twitch, 
you're going, you're not going to be able to build the product period because there's just going to be too much. So really defining that user persona that you're going to build for, um, it is important for every aspect of the company. Right. Yeah. And this is, this goes back to just how you're, you know, cause you're, you'll need a very, uh, a very clear and detailed financial model for investors. Once you, you know, once you get into the due diligence phase and this makes it very easy, well, easy is a general term, but it makes it more clear uh, in terms of how you're going to uh, articulate, you know, what your, three-year projections are because now you know you know you you say you know that teams you know the market size is this large and you feel that you can that you will be able to uh, have this percentage of that market you know purchase or pay for your product or uh, and that you know over time you'll be increasing by this much and now and and you can give clear examples of this is what that looks like and this is that you know, you're that core demographic or, you know, user that you're, you're going after. And then, and, and in the end, it makes it much easier for investors to understand what you're, what you're doing and who you're targeting. Yeah. One, one thing that I remember we made with the, um, personas was, uh, essentially like you touched on the revenue opportunities for our different products. So, so one thing we did was we took these personas that Johnny largely worked in, um, on and researched and put together. And then I was able to take those personas and estimate, how many users we would be able to capture with this product. We estimate we'll be able to um, get interested in the product and start using the product. And then as you can estimate at that point, the average revenue that each user will spend in the product. And from there you can, you know, get a, it's rough, but you can at least get an estimation for the investors about how much revenue can be expected in this product. All right. Now that we've uh, kind of covered the revenue portion planning out our financial model a bit and getting into personas, let's start kind of running through, you know, our deck. And, and you know, we've, uh, at this phase, we are getting ready to have kind of our, our big board meeting. Uh, the big board meeting after the the uh, the one where we kind of just, you know, uh, outlined what our strategy was and what was missing. This next board meeting would really be, you know, just centered solely on our uh, our you know, building out the the deck and going through the actual plan for for talking to investors. So, at this point, we've started you know building uh, kind of outlining a template for what the deck would look like. And as I'd mentioned, there are decks out there that you know kind of give you a good idea of what to you know what other companies have done when raising funding. And so we use you know those as sort of a um, uh, jumping off point for us to give us just an idea of you know of what other you know uh, startups are raising Series A or uh, you know how how they outline their deck, but also we had had our previous you know uh, seed round decks that we used for raising capital. This one, this you know, this entire structure would have to be built you know a good bit differently. Um, and so it's important, you know, there's sort of the key slides that are uh, instrumental, I guess you would say, in, in any investment deck. You know, obviously the team slides, uh, you know, the market, what does your market look like? What is, you know, the problem and the solution uh, for what you're building? And, you know, as you, the structure of how these are laid out will obviously vary in terms of the story you're, you're telling, the investors that you're talking to. Uh, you know, as an example, our team slide, uh, which outlined, you know, 
who who we are, uh, you know, the different sort of uh, full time employees that we have here in LA, some of our remote employees. But the most important thing with our with our team side uh, was that we you know really highlighted that we have a uh, uh, that it's made up of esports professionals or, or industry you know vets that really understand the space. Because for for you know investors uh, that are coming into a, a new market or, or a market that's still up and coming, they want to really know that you as a leader or, or that as a founder or you know executive that you really understand your market and that you know how to build a team that understands the market as well. Um, and so that was you know so we moved our team slide to the front of the deck and really focused on that being like the first you know first kind of part of the story was uh, was highlighting our team. And then we jumped into the market. And so as a comparison to our seed round deck, uh, do you guys remember what our what our seed deck looked like when it came to the market? Yeah, our, um, our, I think we dedicated like three, somewhere between two and four slides to our seed round deck to explaining the uh, the esports market. And that was and that was fair, I think, at the time, um, because you know, obviously more investors know about esports today than they did about two years ago. Um, so probably needed some more explanation. But nowadays, investors, even if they don't understand the intricacies of the esports industry, they know about it and that it's growing and that it's some, an industry they want to get into. Uh, so for this one, we really only had to include one slide. Yeah. And this kind of also touches on the importance of uh, having an appendix slide or kind of an appendix section. So, you know, you'll have your core... Uh, you know, 12 to 18 slides that make up the, you know, kind of the the deck that if you're presenting or if you're, you know, uh, that you're sending out to investors. And then you'll have kind of an appendix section. And the appendix section is, is just there for reference. You know, if you're in a meeting or, or if you're pitching investors and they say, you know, can you break down? Do you have uh, like, what does your typical user look like? And you'd be like, yeah, you know, I, I'm glad you asked. I have a persona slide that that you know it that lays out exactly how large you know that market is and and what that typical user looks like and so for um for the market you know portion we kept it just a one slide that that compared basically traditional sports and esports and kind of the the growth you know trajectories of each uh, industry and then there'll be you know uh, there'll be some additional slides in our appendix that just provides more context if the investor needs it basically and so from there we moved on to kind of our our problem um and so this is where the story really kicks off um you know you're you're you know you're kind of beginning with here's you know here's what esports one looks like you know here's what our team makeup is and the people that are going to be building you know this uh, or are building this product and and this uh, running this company and here's the the market that we're attacking uh, but you know but why you know what why are we doing this and and so this first kind of problem side is one of the most important that you that it's super clear. And highlighting, you know, hey, here, here's the the gap in the industry or the gap in, in you know, this niche that I'm trying to solve. Um, and so ours was, you know, clearly saying, you know, data is fragmented within esports. And uh, one side note to this is uh, we will in our blog post this week include 
uh, some screenshots of how our problem slide evolved from the first iteration of the deck. I think we have maybe four or five iterations that it went through. And so you'll really get to see how it went from just a basic concept of we know we need to show how data is fragmented, but we don't really know how to like, how did we actually show that? And you get to see that journey. Yeah. And that that's another kind of important part is, is the iterations that, that uh, take place when it comes to building out a deck or, uh, you know, few and, and far between, or, or they could be, you know, every, you know, every other day. And before you put it in front of like your designers or, or if you, you know, uh, if you need designers, but if you, uh, before you put it in front of your creative team, you want to, you know, have like wireframes and, and everything kind of structured. So our early iterations, like, you know, I'm not a designer in any uh, breath of the imagination, but I use like, you know, sites or you know, products like Draw.io or or uh, we just use Google Slides to coordinate. So that just makes it, you know, the easiest. But anyway, so moving from the problem, then we jumped into our, our solution. So, you know, right after the problem slide, here, here's what, here's the the gap in the market. And then here's how we're, how we're solving it. These two should you know, be very, uh, kind of asymmetrical in a sense, like connected. Yeah. I guess visually, I guess. Yeah. It should like, it should flow between one another. Like, uh, and so ours was went from data is fragmented to we're unifying, unifying the data. Uh, and the slides, you know, have a lot of similarities in their look and appeal. Yeah. Just to keep in mind that, that when you're doing these slides, especially cause th these two are such important slides, to keep it really simple, you know, the ones that we started with and you get to see them, luckily, it was chaotic. Like there's a lot going on. There's a lot of information there. And as we progress and as we did, um, you know, new versions of it, it became cleaner. You know, the image was was uh, articulating a lot less words or a lot less images. And because and it really needs to be, uh, be understood by, you know, someone yeah. reading it. Yeah. And something kind of visualized like uh, is, you know, if, if I was to say, you know, data is fragmented, you know, how do you visualize that? How do you think about that? And then, you know, now we're, you know, we're connecting data. Well, that sort of problem and solution kind of uh, mindset makes it makes it easy, you know, to try to visualize that because, uh, you know, it's fragment, you know, showing fragmented data is fairly, you know, uh, it isn't isn't a monumental task, as you'd say. So we we're able to accomplish that, I feel very well. Now we now we jumped into uh, we went from there, and now we we are you know kind of breaking down the products that we built if we built any products and uh, and from if this is like if you're at the pre-seed phase you know these can be mock-ups like our early you know slides were were very uh, wireframey or you know prototypes and but this next slide is is you know taking the problem the solution and now highlighting all right here's what we're building or what we're going to build that addresses those two, you know, that problem solution area. And I, uh, and do you all want to kind of touch on that? Any? Yeah, I think, you know, for, for this one, we wanted to include some screenshots um, without going into too much detail um, because you don't want to overload the people. You, know, you don't want to show you the most intricate thing that's happening. You want them to be able to look at that and, and understand it. And this is where we kind of started to incorporate the personas um, a bit. We, you know, we didn't, include all the information but we we mentioned you know um event organizers teams and players viewers right um, and that way the um you know whoever's reading it can put two and two together you know understand that this product is for this and it knows that you know we understand that what's going on yeah and this is the first kind of touch point uh that we are bringing up personas uh because i think it's important that because we're going to end up referencing kind of these these segments these user segments and user personas throughout the deck 
And so we wanted to introduce them early on uh, so that it, you know, for from a VC standpoint, you know, they they uh, get a, a brief overview of it that we then go more into detail throughout the uh, throughout the deck. And now uh, in go, kind of moving through here and we won't go like piece by piece, but just kind of, you know, these are these are the most important in our opinion of, of how we should uh, how you should kind of structure a deck of, of for series A or, or seed. But now from our standpoint, we've already built a community. We have a community through Esportspedia. And so obviously we want to highlight that in some way. We want to showcase that, you know, we have a user base. Uh, that of established, you know, uh, community members that have, have, you know, that have been a part of, uh, of our organization per se for, for, you know, years now. And this was our way to kind of do that. Uh, and so the next slide is sort of a traction slide. So if you have any traction, if you have any revenue, if you have any, you know, users or community built, uh, or even just social media followers of some sort, like this is a way to kind of highlight that in some form and introduce it basically as well and now you know so you go from product you you're kind of giving the first uh intro to your product to your user segments and and then your community and now you know but you still haven't really showcased what you're what you're doing what you're building um what your what innovative you know solutions are are being presented uh or you know created and that's what we do in this next kind of slide of, you know, here is how our computer vision works. Here's the, you know, the points on the screen that it's capturing. And then here's sort of how our technology is architected. And so we have two different slides here. We have one that's like is the user facing uh, perspective of here's what the technology does is doing in real time. And then here's sort of what the architecture looks like on the back end and how it all feeds together. So because we have, you know, and using eSports One as examples, it's because we have uh, these computers that are watching all these eSports games and they're, they're basically just watching matches in real time and they're capturing events on the screen. That data has to be processed and, and stored historically and analyzed. And so we want to make that clear of these are the things that we're capturing and this is how we're storing it. I remember doing this slide, um, or doing these two technology slides. There's a lot of back and forth to trying to work out the best way to explain our technology, but without overloading the person they're reading, because they're not going to be engineers necessarily. So you want to show that it's complex, but you have to keep it simple at the same time, so it's, mm -hmm. it's easily digested. Yeah, yeah. I think actually <clears throat> the uh, technology architecture slide might have been the slide that like went through the most iterations or back in, or like took the longest at least. Yeah. Cause we hadn't, we had Antec work on it a good bit. You know, we uh, went through a bunch of kind of changes. I think we have a ton of different versions of it. And, uh, and again, it's, it's okay for it to be, you know, techie and like very uh, in depth in certain regards, but not overly so much that, you know, the, the structure of what you know what you're doing from an engineering standpoint is completely lost on whoever's looking at it but enough so that they understand that you know they they know or they can tell that you know what you're talking about basically um and so for us taking those two you know what the user facing product was what the behind the scenes product you know was was we then kind of move into what our our uh, how we take all that and then build a network effect that gets us from a product to a you know a 
you know, much larger organization that has opportunity to scale quickly, to grow rapidly, to take advantage of all this, you know, this funding. And here's sort of, sort of for us was like our first intro into uh, what our projections look like and what the future looks like for esports one. So from a network effects, you know, uh, perspective, we were, you know, we're saying here, here's what, you know, with our tech and everything on the back, on the back end that's happening, here's how we're going to be, here's how we're going to expand into other games and how quickly we feel that, you know, we can, we can progress over time to be able to expand more, more, you know, rapidly. Yeah. Investors don't just want to see that you are growing or that you will be able to grow. They, they want to see how you can accelerate that growth as well. So, so for us, you know, it's, it's really the way it works for us is we're focusing on data in the stack. Um, so kind of showing how we can accelerate the, the growth of how much data we've captured is very important. And the way it works for us is when we take a game in a certain genre, so it could be a MOBA like League of Legends and Dota, once we get our, you know, our technology to understand League of Legends, it is then significantly easier to get it to understand Dota. And so once you really nail one game in a genre, you can much more rapidly expand to the additional games in that genre, allowing you to, you know, much more rapidly expand how much data you have. Right. Because the ultimate goal is to, you know, for or one of the ultimate goals, and I think I've said that a good bit before, but like you, we want to be able to, as soon as a new game title is released, we want to be able to quickly activate upon it and, and start supporting it. And so using Apex Legends as an example, you know, if we were to jump into a new game title like that right off the bat and start, you know, trying to build, you know, uh, our computer vision to uh, to the same criteria, acceptable criteria that we built for League of Legends, you know, we could be looking at, at a minimum three months of effort up, up to six, probably six months. At that point, we don't know if Apex Legends is still going to be a, a, you know, a large esports title. And so we have to wait for some of that. But ultimately, we want to get to a point where, you know, it doesn't matter if that game's going to take off, you know, uh, entirely because if we're only spending a few days, you know, engineering on it and to get to the same part, you know, point that now has taken us, you know, six or 12 months before, then that's, you know, that's sort of a, a risk reward scenario that we're okay with. Um, all right. So continuing sort of all, so using all you know, all we've kind of outlined thus far, um, you know, one of the one of the other kind of key aspects uh, when investors that we found that investors look for outside of team, you know, your market uh, and how you can, you know, be a, a multi-billion dollar company and what you're what you're doing to get there is how you're going to protect, you know, how you're protecting yourselves from competitors and and how you're building out a protection layer or moat that scales long-term and that gives you a competitive advantage over everyone else. And for us, that comes down to the amount of data that we're storing. So obviously, as, as more and more data is being captured and stored and analyzed, you know that takes time, that takes resources, it takes just large amount of processing and uh, and, and for someone to get to the same level in terms of how much data that we have uh, for them to get to that same, you know, be at the same pace, you know, it would take a lot of ramp up time. So that's just one aspect of how we're 
protecting ourselves. Um, but this slide, this next slide is, is for us, it's just to, to show, you know, everything that we're doing up to this point puts a, a shield around us that gives us even more, you know, uh, uh, you know, more of an advantage over everyone else. And so you really want to highlight that and, and, you know, throughout the deck. And now we're kind of getting into kind of the wrap, kind of the final, you know, couple of slides here. And so what's, you, obviously you want to keep, you know, the deck between 12 to, you know, 16, 17 slides. And so we use kind of the tail end to outline projections as well as, you know, what go to market looks like long term. Uh, so each of these slides at the, you know, here for the next, probably next four slides all include what our current sort of, uh, what, what we're currently doing and then how we're projecting that long-term and how that scales long-term. And so without going, you know, too far into the weeds, you know, these, these next couple of slides is really just, here's all everything that we've outlined prior when it comes to the user personas and the segments. And now how does that, uh, how does, how does that correlate with what our go-to-market strategy is that then entail leads to, you know, revenue, uh, growth and increase in data, increase in technology. And so using, yeah, so now we've, we've outlined kind of our projections and now we're getting into the, you know, uh, of summarizing it all and, you know, what, and outlining, all right, here, here is basically using everything that you've seen thus far. Now here is what it looks, here's the vision. And so for us, I'll just kind of, I'll read through what our, what our, you know, overall vision is that we outline in, in this last uh, slide. But, you know, we, we have that, we say we're going to build the data technology platform to drive analytics and insights that lock up the ecosystem that creates the standard that powers every second of esports gameplay. And you, and it's sort of a ba-bump, ba-bump sort of statement that is also correlated with each phase of, for us, for our fundraising. So, you know, it highlights at the top, you know, from at the seed stage that we're, we're building the tech, we're building the platforms that, you know, solve these problems. And that's what we used our seed round for is to, you know, is to highlight and showcase sort of, you know, here's the need in the space and that we can build the solutions. Um, and then you, we're going to use series A to, to lock up the ecosystem to really sort of establish ourselves and start building that protection layer. And then from there, you know, our ultimate vision is to power every second of esports gameplay. And so that's what, you know, future funding rounds are going to, are going to be used for is to really get us to that, that multi-billion dollar, you know, uh, organization or company. And so summarizing everything that we've laid out in the deck thus far, and we're at 16 pages uh, with our deck at this point, the, you know, 17th page before uh, closing, you know, before the end of the deck is, is exactly what our ask is and, you know, and how much we're raising and what we're going to be using that money for. And that's very important to, you know, that you put that at the end of, you know, the deck so that it's it summarizes everything. And it's just, you know, everything that you've read before, well, this is what that means. And, uh, and they should have a very clear, understanding at the end of uh, looking through your deck that how much you're you're raising basically uh and one thing that we've uh that you know that we haven't mentioned or haven't uh kind of broken broken down for you is 
uh, is also how you're going to be using that money. And that's one you know side that I would, uh, uh, that's pretty good to include as well is, is, you know, really being specific in how many people you're going to be hiring and, and, you know, what all, what this money is going to be going for, going towards for the next, you know, 18 to 24 months. And so now that we've kind of given a, uh, you know, a run through of what our deck looks like, I think now we're kind of just in summary, you know, let's kind of just out, you know, kind of talk about what problems we face during this process. So, I mean, one thing to note, like this building out this deck, it took, it's taken, and it's, it's always, is an iterative approach. Um, so, you know, once you have a deck that you put in front of investors, it, as soon as you're starting to get feedback from them and they're, they're asking questions or they're, you know, bringing up uh, things that they wish or, you know, that they wish they saw in your deck, you know, you should constantly be adding to it and constantly be updating the deck and, you know, and using the latest versions that address, you know, the conversations you had prior. Um, but I don't know, guys, like, what, how do you, you know, what do y'all think of the deck? What are, y- what are y'all's thoughts? What do y'all think? What were the kind of the, the problems or lowlights that, uh, that we faced? Uh, gosh, to me, one of the hardest parts about build- building the deck in general was just, it's something you want to include, uh, you know, your whole team on, you know, especially when you're an early stage startup, you don't have a ton of employees. You probably want to include a, a decent amount of your team in the deck creation process because whether they're engineers or marketing or sales or, you know, executives, what have you, their their input, you know, from their angles of perspective um, could be very valuable. That being said, it can also create a weird situation where you have a too many cooks in the kitchen sort of feeling sometimes and everybody has different ideas for what the deck should look like, uh, what the style should be, what the layout should be, what the order of the slide should be. So it's just a lot of people with very strong opinions about a company that they love and how they you should best show it off. And so there's a lot of back and forth and redoing things and iterating until you find the the ideal you know layout and formula that everyone agrees on which i think we've hit i think we've hit the nail on the head with that now but it took several iterations to get there and that's why it's been so great to have uh vic and damon work very closely with us on this deck Uh, i can't tell you the number of nights that vic and i spent you know running through slide by slide uh you know till late you know early mornings uh you know kind of here you know what do we think of this or or let's try these different versions and we would come up you know with different uh you know uh ways of visualizing the same thing on separate slides and then compare one another compare my version and his version and seeing which one you know felt the best and then i would take that to the team and get their input and that's really what I, you know, I think the team's biggest and uh, benefit throughout this process was using them as a sounding board uh, in terms of, you know, does it make sense to them? Because uh, obviously, if it doesn't make sense to our team that's building the product and and you know and building uh, these solutions, then it's definitely not going to make sense to the investors. So we wanted, I wanted to make sure that everyone uh, that was looking through the deck, really understood what, what was being said. Yeah, I remember we would have an idea, we would have it set, we'd design the slide, um, and then in the morning you'd come back and either your slide's gone or it's like been scratched out or there's a new image in there. Um, but you, you never should take it personally because you're all you know in line with the same thing. You just want to make a really good deck that's really easy to understand. And, and so you never get attached to it. Like I, don't, I never cared if my designs were in it or not. 
as long as they told um, the design that was in there would tell the story the way we wanted to. And I thought that was so important. Uh, Matt, what's your favorite slide in the deck? Just from an, an overall perspective, whether it's design or the information it contains, what's what's your personal yeah, favorite slide? Yeah, I, I mean, I love our final our final slide, or kind of not the final slide, but the one that. Uh, the vision with the yeah, it's kind of the ba dump ba dump sort of uh, that whole cadence. I think that's just we did really good with the with the we did really good with kind of articulating that. And that was actually a a. I don't know, kind of a sentence or a, a number of sentences that that were brought up during our board meeting with the investors, our investors, um, and they actually came up with you know this sort of structure that we uh, then took to, uh, to and incorporate into the deck. And one thing to note about that, uh, to touch on what Johnny said, is you know I think Robert, who's our our designer and, and spent a lot of time on on this deck. I think there there was probably definitely a number of slides that he uh, that he, we would we would you know he would probably spend most of the day working on and then the next day I would be on a call with Vic all morning and and that that slide is now gone and we're working on a new one and uh, and Robert was you know was great about it never never took it uh, uh, as a slight to him or or anything just kind of you know knew that was part of the process and. And it's, you know, it's just sort of just how things are, you know, you'll, you'll have a, a grand vision and, and, you know, and you'll put it exactly how you, or, you know, design it exactly how you want it to look and, and the, everyone's doing exactly what they're told. And then the next day you're like, well, actually I rethought this and, and I want to redo it all. And so. I think that that kind of mindset really applies to startups in general is you, if you're going to succeed in a startup, you really it's very hard, but you kind of need to drop your ego because like you said, related to the deck, related to a startup, everyone has great ideas about products or new features to add or new audiences that you should target. Everyone has new ideas about how to improve the company and they all want to because you're all striving towards the same goal, um, but you can't do all of them. So you're going you're gonna to have ideas that everyone loves and you all decide to pursue and you're going to have ideas that someone else's idea gets chosen. And you need to be able to not take that personally and understand that as a group, you're making the collective best decisions for the company and that sometimes you won't have the best decisions. Yeah, and the big the big kind of difference between a startup and just a big you know company or organization is that you're nimble and that you're agile and able to move quickly and and you know that applies to building out a, a investor deck is you know is that there's not a lot of check and checks and balances there's you know you're you're moving fast and there will be much, a bunch of iterations one thing i would recommend i would suggest is you know as you're building out the deck uh, one thing that's helped us a lot is by using like a versioning system and so we we attach like version you know point one and that was the first you know uh, you know, kind of the first uh, versions of the deck that we used. And even though Google Slides makes it easy to, you know, keep up with tracking versions and whatnot, uh, it, it will start getting circulated. People want to have their own uh, copies of the deck that they can work on separately, just a bunch of different things. So having, you know, a version that is the latest one that's, that everyone is using. Uh, so like we're up to version 1.1 at this point. And that also makes it easier for me when I'm sending to investors because then I'll know, you know, if I sent version 0.7 to uh, to a, a, a VC, you know, a month ago, but we're on version 1.1. Well, now I know that everything that 
you know, that I didn't include uh, uh, leading up to, to 1.1 or that wasn't in the deck that I now need to ensure that I, I get that point across or, or let that VC know if we're, if we meet again. All right, guys. So that, I think that kind of covers it. Uh, you know, we've used these first three episodes to tell a little bit about the story and how we've gotten to where we are now and, and what, you know, kind of goes into just the, the preparation uh, when you're raising a, a round of funding like a, a Series A. And from here, we're going to our next episodes are going to start diving into the actual conversations that we're having with investors. And so you'll hear directly from, you know, the the investors themselves and get their honest take on, you know, uh, the process from, you know, talking, meeting with uh, companies like ourselves, as well as their partner meetings and what they do after the, you know, after the first meeting and what due diligence looks like and how they make a decision on a company like, you know, eSports One or, or uh, any of the other startups that they look at, as well as we'll, we'll have conversations with our own investors, you know, Vic and Damon, and, and have them on to talk about, you know, what, what went into, you know, preparing for our Series A. You know, we haven't gotten into the, the big board meeting yet that took place uh, when we, we spent all day, you know, uh, whiteboarding and writing out, you know, what the deck, uh, the details of the deck and getting, you know, that was really the first iteration of, of uh, our deck as a whole. And, and so talking about that. So we'll have, you know, we'll, we'll have our investors on to, to dive into that a bit. And, and, uh, and that's where, you know, it's important that uh, you guys as listeners really let us know kind of, you know, what you want to hear from them, what questions you might have, uh, what feedback uh, you, uh, you want us to uh, incorporate into the future episodes, because moving from this point on, you know, everything's going to kind of be a week by week basis. And so as we're going through the process, you'll be going through it with us as well. And I think it's important that, that you guys, you know, that the listeners and that we really uh, emphasize that, you know, our goal with this is for you to have a firsthand perspective of, of what it looks like raising around the funding. And that's why we're going to be as transparent as possible every step of the way. Obviously they're there are certain things that we'll have to leave out, but for the most part, you know, you're going to, you're going to know everything that we know. Um, and so be sure to, to join our, our Slack. It's e1.gg slash Slack. And so you can join our community of listeners, talk to, you know, myself, Johnny, Jordan, as well as Esports One team. And then we also have our blog uh, that we're posting uh, episode recaps, as well as including a bunch of the documents and files and templates and uh, and pictures from you know each episode that that corresponds with the topics that were discussed. So if you go to blog.esports1.com, all all of our our show notes and whatnot will be will be included there. And then obviously you know we have our social media uh, accounts, uh, esports one, esports one Inc. Uh, kind of throughout uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. So be sure to check us out there. But uh, I think that that kind of uh, summarizes everything. And and uh, we'll uh, we'll see you next week.